our renewed mission as a church is to exist to invite all people to know Christ, grow in Christ, and to go with Christ by living lives marked by faith, hope, and love. And tied in with this renewed mission uh, is our, our set of values that we're introducing over the, over the coming year that try to describe how our faith, hope, and love are expressed in everyday life. How is it that we live out on mission to grow Christ, grow in Christ, and go with Christ? How can our lives be marked by our faith, our hope, and our love in Jesus? Well, we've talked about the first value over the last couple of weeks, the value of prayer. And these values are not just lofty ideas. They're actually things that we can do and use to sort of... Um, do a self-checkup in our own hearts to see how, how our faith is doing. And so prayer is our first value practice, a work of faith that really informs all the other work that we do as a church. It is really the primary work of God's people. It's not the only work, but it has to be the first work and the work that's treated as most important. We've talked about that last couple of weeks. You can go back and uh, listen to those sermons if you would like on our podcast, which is on our website and iTunes. Our second value is the value of discipleship. And that's what we're going to start talking about today. Discipleship, we can talk about in a whole bunch of different ways, but at minimum, at very minimum, it is following Jesus by being obedient to scripture. We believe that Jesus is the word of God made flesh, that the same uh, the same God who walked among us in Jesus is also the, 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 the same spirit of that God inspired all of scripture. And so to be obedient to scripture is to be obedient to Jesus. We cannot divorce them from each other. And we believe this is the primary calling of God's people, that all of God's people are called to be disciples of Jesus, to be followers of Jesus. People who want to live out his commands and do what he says. And there's a, an important connection between these two values because prayer is the practice that deepens the practice of discipleship. When we pray and, and when we commit ourselves to prayer, we actually slowly but surely become more faithful followers of Jesus. So these two values are really interwoven. We could, we could maybe put it this way, that our inward devotion to Jesus is what ultimately changes us and the world. We talk about reconciliation um, quite a bit and, and the ministry of reconciliation that Jesus gives us. And that ministry starts with our relationship with God, which changes who, how, who, how we see ourselves and how we... Uh, how we speak to ourselves and, and think about ourselves because we get to see ourselves through the eyes of Jesus. But then that shifts how we treat other people. And so all of these relationships of our lives, upwards with God, inwards with ourselves, and outwards with other people are transformed by God's grace. But it starts with that, that devotion with Jesus. It's really upwards that transforms us inwards. And if we want to change the world, if we want to have a real difference, be difference makers in the world, it has to start with devotion. It has to start with 
devotion. But that moves out into the world. And part of this is because prayer is really about learning how to have our wills become cooperative with God's will. Prayer is all about correcting our will uh, to match the will of God in the world. So this is, we see this in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Jesus tells us how to pray. Well, that, that actually is a confession that says, you know what, I am not going to live for myself. I'm only going to live for you, God. It's not about what I want. It's about what you want for me and for this world. So prayer is actually the starting point of our discipleship. And if we want to grow as disciples, prayer is how we do it. And we see this consistently throughout church history, that when people commit themselves to prayer, the world around them changes. And so here, is a, a, here are a couple of examples. John Christentum, he dedicated his life to preaching and prayer in the early church. And he was someone who is now known as having raised his voice against um, wealth hoarding and inequality, as well as the inhumane treatment of slaves at a time when slaves were treated like dirt. Now, <clears throat> he, I, to my knowledge, he didn't call for the ending of slavery, but that would come later. It's actually really interesting, the fact that the, the only two religions that I know of that have put an end to human slave, the only, the only two times that slavery has been abolished within our world as a, as a cultural entity have both been done by the church. They've both been done by the church. So we'll see, well, I'll talk about John Wesley in a second. He was uh, connected to the, the abolition of slavery in most recent history. But first, uh, someone in the time of the Reformation, Marguerite of, I'm going to brutalize this, Marguerite of Navarre. This is a French Protestant queen, otherwise known as a, Huber, a Huguenot queen, um, who devoted her life to prayer but that prayer led her to promote education and to build a dozen hospitals in her very small kingdom. And then John Wesley. John Wesley is this English minister, Anglican, um, at, at a time of great upheaval in the world um, with industrialization coming in the Enlightenment and all these big changes. And in the midst of all these big changes, he committed himself to prayer which then caused him to say a life of prayer must also involve a life of obedience to Jesus. And he connected those two to have profound social impact in the world. Um, in the world at large, but also just in London, he advocated for the poor and created food banks and mentorship groups and all these different social programs. He uh, wrote tracts for the abolition of slavery that are what sort of pushed William Wilberforce into taking on within Parliament to get rid of slavery as a, as a legal entity in, in the Commonwealth and beyond. Uh, but he also opened up the very first medical clinic and pharmacy, free medical clinic and pharmacy um, in, the, in the Western world. John Wesley saw prayer and, 
and, and devotion and discipleship is intertwined. You couldn't remove the two from each other. And if you tried, you wouldn't be able to live a life of faithfulness that God desires from you. That connects all of these three and many, many more. They didn't just set out to do good deeds. They prayed until they couldn't help do the Lord's will in their lives and in the lives of those around them. Their prayers both led to and fueled all the things that they did. And we see this type of um, activity throughout scripture um, of, of prayer really fueling things happening. Um, and one example that I'd like to take a look at is in Exodus chapter 17. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up to Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. This is talking about a battle. You have to remember that the Israelites in the Exodus have been a, a roaming people, and now they're going into land that's already inhabited. And so there, there's, there's going to be these battles and wars because they are a, a tribe with, with border boundaries. And these other people groups are tribes with border boundaries, and they, everyone wants to protect their borders. And so um, God is faithful in protecting Israel's borders as they remain faithful to him. But in Exodus 17, uh, we see a battle play out with this in mind. The Amicalites came and attacked the Israelites. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amicalites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. And so Joshua goes out and fights them, just as Moses has ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. It's interesting. He didn't go alone. He went with other people. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amicalites were winning. Whenever he held up his hands, which is a, like this is an act of surrender. Whenever he was in a posture of surrender before the Lord, that the Israelites were winning the battle. When he lost that posture and when he was... Uh, it seems not so, was, was so tired that he wasn't able to pray anymore. Well, the battle started going the other way. And so when Moses's hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him. So, and he sat on it and Aaron and her held his hands up one on one side, one on another, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amicalite army with the sword. And you, we can ask the question, who's doing the work in this passage? Who's doing the hard work? And we'd say, well, Joshua, he's the one doing the battle. But the person who's described as being exhausted is the person who is praying. Because praying is hard work. Praying, Moses in his prayers is putting in all the effort. And it's Moses' prayers that turn the battle, not what's happening on the battlefield. But notice, Moses needed help. He couldn't do this alone. So there's a whole bunch of things that are instructive for us. Number one is the primacy of prayer, that prayer actually does matter. And it can change the course of the battles within our lives. But number two, we shouldn't be doing it alone. We shouldn't be going life alone. Moses needed help and so do we. And when he put up his hands as a sign of his surrender and his dependence, 
he still needed Aaron and her to support him, to keep his hands raised, to help him to stay in that posture of surrender and prayer. And we can ask ourselves, well, who is my support? But I think that's the wrong question to ask. I think that actually is, a, is our, uh, if that's our first thought, that's our culture teaching us to think of ourselves first and not others. But Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Treat others according to how you want to be treated. And so the question shouldn't be for us, who's holding up my arms? Who's helping to support me? It's actually, who am I supporting? Am I supporting anyone? So let's not think about who our supports are. Let's ask the question, whose arms are you supporting? Whose prayers are you joining in with? Are you encouraging? Who are you supporting in prayer? And if the answer is no one, there is no better day than today to say, I'm going to support this person in prayer. And may the Lord give a person, uh, put their name on your heart right now, of someone who you could be supporting in prayer over the next weeks and months. But then take that nudging of the Holy Spirit and actually act on it. Say to them, I want to support you. I want to pray for you. I want to encourage you. Um, and so how can I do that? And make plans to check in with, with someone, pray with them, and pray for them on a regular basis. And in that way, support them in their praying as well. You know, if we want to change the world, if we want to change our neighborhood, if we want to change our city for the glory of Christ, if we want to see people follow Jesus and become better followers of Jesus, it starts with a commitment to prayer. And if we want to become better followers of Jesus, if we want to become better disciples, it starts with prayer. And so we can ask the question, how did the early church do it? Because the early church said that we were, were told in in the book of Acts, which, is, which tells stories of the early church, we're told that they devoted themselves to, to prayer and the apostles' teaching and to breaking bread and fellowship. They, they devoted themselves to these things. And so what did their prayers look like? And we can look to the book of Acts for all sorts of examples. But all of the examples have uh, two things in common. The early church prayed very short prayers and they prayed using the scriptures. And we can see an example of this in Acts chapter 4. So turn your Bible there, Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. That's after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. Peter and John had been in front of the religious leaders of the day, uh, defending their, their case to continue to preach the gospel, and so they have been released at this point, and they're going back to the church, and it says they reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when the church heard this, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Now, this is interesting, right? We see right away that that prayer in this setting of the early church isn't just one person doing the praying. It's a bunch of people coming together and praying essentially in one voice, holding each other up, holding each other's arms up in surrender to God. And they say, Sovereign Lord, like you are the one in control. Sovereign Lord, 
You have made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And what, and what comes next? Why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And if you are looking at your Bible, if you're looking online, you might notice those verses, that one verse, verse 26, has an indent in it. And why is that? Well, it's because they're quoting from scripture. They're quoting from Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, connecting David's prayer in the Psalms to their experience on that day. And so they continue, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hands to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And there's a couple of things to note. Number one, there's a ton of prayers in scripture. This isn't the only one. Um, and, and they even use a prayer in it as a quotation within this short little verse. The scriptures they quote from, the Psalms, are all prayers written by David and others crying out to God um, and, and calling on him and glorifying him. And we can use those Psalms for our prayers as well. We could find our story within the story that they tell to be able to go to God just as the early church did and say, what is happening? Are you listening? Are you moving? And to call on Jesus to, uh, to, to guard our hearts and reveal our hearts and to lead us into ways everlasting. But notice too, you know, this is an extremely short prayer. This is a very short prayer. It is simple. It is to the point. And so often when we gather for prayers, and I'm as guilty as anyone, um, our prayers can be really, really long. And I think sometimes that's just because we're not quite sure what to say. We're at a loss for words. And so we just speak until we think we found the words, right? But sometimes I think maybe it would be better if instead of trying to search within ourselves for the words, that we should be going to scripture and speaking its words as prayers. We can be joining in with the prayers given to us by the Holy Spirit um, and bringing them into our context and circumstances to speak to us and minister to us. And really, this is scripture's witness to us in this passage. When we're not sure what to say, that's the perfect time to see what scripture has to say and then to pray along with it, to open up a psalm and to read it until a verse sticks out and then grab hold of that verse as our point of prayer. And our prayers don't have to be an hour long. We could be, actually, they could just be like one sentence long. And then fill our, and then, and then we're actually free to fill our day with one sentence prayers quick prayers throughout the day. That's what it means to pray unceasingly, I think, as Paul describes it. And notice what happens too after the short prayer has been said. After they prayed, this is verse 31, 
the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, this isn't because of the length of the prayer, but because of their trust in God to hear their prayers and answer them. They didn't need that long time to do it, though, to express their trust. They just needed that short amount of time. And then what happened? Verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had with great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and grace. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there was no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, uh, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Their prayers didn't just stay private. It led directly to them being better followers of Jesus. God was faithful in answering their prayers, <clears throat> in, 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 in helping them to be more obedient, filling them with his spirit. And then they could go out and fulfill his great commandment and his great commission to love our neighbor as ourselves and to go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that he commanded. Without prayer, our discipleship, our ability to follow Jesus will only ever be stunted and will never become the kinds of people God wants us to be. But this is a struggle. This is one of the struggles of prayer is that when we want to pray, we actually have to struggle to do it. And so if you struggle to pray, you're in good company with every other Christian who has ever lived. It is a struggle, but it is a struggle that is worth it because as we commit ourselves to prayer, as we commit ourselves to fellowship with God, God transforms us and helps us to be better disciples of him, better, more faithful followers of Jesus. And so for this week's challenge, we're actually just going to do a, a sort of a bye week and say there have been a couple of challenges now. Some of them you might have been able to do, um, or had chosen to do. Some of them maybe you didn't do, or you didn't do well and you want to do over and continue to build this habit of prayer in your life to, so that you can become a better disciple. And so this week, we're going to take a look back at the previous couple of challenges, and I'm going to invite you to commit yourself to doing one of those past challenges, to take it up anew this week. And so let's quickly go through <clears throat> excuse me, these weekly challenges. First off, you could commit to praying for someone's salvation, that they would know that they would come to know Christ. And that, to do that, you choose a person to pray for. You set a time daily to commit to praying for them. You set a reminder and you pray. And again, this doesn't have to be a long prayer. This could just be a short one-sentence prayer. Lord, I love you. I want others to love you as well. And so I pray that this person would come to know you and come to love you and come to trust in you as Savior. And you could even do that multiple times a day. Set different reminders throughout the day to pray your one sentence prayer, but the, but you have to commit to doing it and then make sure that you keep up with your commitment. 
So you could do this challenge or this one. Use the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 or Luke 11 as a guide for your prayers this week. To do that, you'd pick a time to pray, you'd pick a place, get rid of your distractions and pray out loud. We talked about why each of those things in the sermon, you can go back and, and um, review those if you would like from, um, from May 23rd. Use the Lord's Prayer as a guide for your prayer time this week. Or you could uh, go with last week's uh, prayer challenge, which is wrestling with God for our church and our city, or our city rather, and ask for the Lord's blessing for them. And for our city, you can visit our website to access a guide to prayer walking created by our friends at Go Hop, which will help you to wrestle with God in prayer in the place that you live and work and play throughout the week. And it gets you outside and exercising. You can invite a friend or two along to prayer walk with you. And this prayer guide that Go Hop has graciously provided on their website um, will give you different prompts to very quickly, as you're walking, uh, notice God at work in your midst and then pray for your neighbors in our city and for our church. Pick one of these past challenges to do this week. That is our faith in practice challenge. And through your prayers, through your commitment to prayer this week, may you have your will shaped by the will of Christ so that you would follow him into doing the good works that he has prepared for you to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you that you're God and we're not. And I thank you that you have made your will known in scripture and through the person of Jesus. And so help us, Father, by filling us with your spirit to convict us and to confront us, but also to encourage us and to comfort us and to draw us closer to you and above all to transform us. As we look at the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Mold our will into yours, Father. Help us to live as you want us to live. And as we pray, help us to be better followers of you so that we can go out and do the good works you've prepared for us in advance. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.